Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe for this Friday, the 10th of February in London. Coming up today... Bumping along the bottom, Britain dodges a recession for another quarter, but the data suggests there's little reason to be cheery. The pound in your pocket. Public sector pay rises may spur inflation, says the Bank of England. No nickel and more than a dime. Metal fraud leaves Trafigura losses of more than half a billion dollars. Britain's £2 billion fraud bull, Hermes bags can't get copied in cyberspace. And Sam, are you there? The final hours of FTX. Those are the stories we're looking at in today's papers. And I'm Leanne Gerrans. Plus a multi-billion pound football pitch. Jim Ratcliffe lines up Goldman Sachs to bankroll his Manchester United bid. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning, I'm Stephen Carroll. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Here are the stories that we're following today. UK GDP has remained unchanged in the fourth quarter compared with previous quarters. The economy, though, shrank half of 1% in December month on month. The estimates had been for a three-tenths of 1% drop. When it comes to industrial production in December, uh, that falls 4% year on year. The estimate had been for a bigger drop of 5.2%. Uh, manufacturing production also a drop of 5.7%. So... The UK economy uh, having shrunk month on month, half of 1% in December. The Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey says big increases in public sector pay will add to inflation if they aren't offset by tax increases. Speaking to the Treasury Committee in Parliament, Bailey said that even with falling energy costs, inflationary risks remain. If you've got those powerful sort of downside forces, why are you raising interest rates again? And the answer for me to that question is I'm very uncertain, particularly about price setting and wage setting in this country. We have got the largest upside skew on it in our forecast that we've Mm. ever had on inflation. Mm. The Bank of England governor was speaking as firefighters called off the threat of strikes after receiving an improved pay offer. The Fire Brigade's union said its members would vote on a 7% raise backdated to last summer and a further 5% increase from this July. Trafigura is facing a $577 million loss after discovering metal cargoes it bought did not contain the nickel that they were supposed to. The commodity trader says that it has spent the past two months uncovering what it believes is a systematic fraud against the company. Bloomberg's Sue Keenan broke down how Trafigura found out it had been duped. 
Trafagora began reviewing its relationships with various trading partners late last year. It's apparently been buying nickel in containers that are already on board ships, and then it sells it when the vessels reach their destination. The trade began to unravel when the company's investigators arrived at a port in Rotterdam. They checked the contents of the container, and guess what? No nickel inside. It was some other worthless metal. Well, that was Bloomberg's Sue Keenan reporting there. The revelations are another black mark for the metals trading industry, which in recent years has been beset by tales of fake warehouse receipts, duplicate shipping documents and even containers filled with painted rocks. Thousands of aid workers are pouring into Turkey and Syria, where deaths from Monday's massive earthquakes have now risen past 20,000 people. Here in the UK, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is urging everyone to donate what they can to support those in need. We will do everything that we can to help Turkey. I already said that to the president when I spoke to him a couple of days ago. And what the government's also said is that we will match all of the country's donations pound for pound. Sunak spoke as the first UN aid shipment arrived in Syria, loaded with blankets, hygiene products and materials to give people temporary shelter. Meanwhile, the World Bank will provide Turkey with nearly $1.8 billion for disaster relief and recovery. Now more economic news. China's consumer inflation accelerated last month as the Lunar New Year holiday stimulated demand. Bloomberg's Brian Curtis has more from Hong Kong. The CPI rose 2.1% from a year earlier. That was in line with estimates. Core inflation stripping out food and energy gained just 1%. In the meantime, the PPI fell 0.8% as commodity prices lagged. The estimate was for a drop of 0.5%. Bloomberg Economics says the pickup in CPI was down to higher food prices, not services. As such, the signal is underwhelming. In Hong Kong, Brian Curtis, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. British billionaire Jim Ratcliffe is said to have lined up banks, including Goldman Sachs, to bankroll a bid to buy Manchester United. A source says the banks are prepared to fund a takeover offer for the English football club with bonds and loans. Bloomberg understands this would include covering Man U's existing $800 million of debt. Shares in the company surged this week on reports Qatari investors are also looking to bid for the club. So those are our top stories this morning. Uh, OK, uh, quite a lot of uh, serious news this morning, something a little bit lighter, or at least, you know, the jokes can flow from this one, can't they? Um, we're all focused on energy usage, on trying to have a more efficient home. I know I am. Uh, apparently, loads of heat escapes through your windows. So who's coming to the rescue? Who's, who's the most famous word name you associate with windows? Yeah, Bill Gates. There you go. He's made this investment into a company that's trying to come up with a new design for windows. And there's a long article on the Bloomberg Terminal it gives you even the pictures of how it's being made and so on. But basically, to try to to help homes become more efficient. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it is an absolutely fascinating business. And to see somebody like Bill Gates's name attached to it uh, <laughs> is very interesting as well. Although you can't bust draw comparisons with the software version and, and make jokes about whether upgrades will be needed regularly, for oh, example. I through, hope through, not. That's a, that's a very expensive upgrade. Th- through the looking glass moments. Yeah, All right. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, let's turn then to get more detail on those UK GDP figures. Um, the UK has avoided a recession in the fourth quarter. That's what we've learned this morning. Let's speak to Professor Stephen Millard, who's Deputy Director of the Think Tank, the National Institute of Economic and Social Research. Uh, Stephen, good morning to you. Thank you for being uh, with us. Now, you said earlier in the week that you're, you're expecting at NISA for the UK to avoid a recession this year, in contrast to the gloomy Bank of England view. What do you make of what we've learned from this data? Well, the the data has come out weaker than we were expecting for December. 
But having said that, I think we're still in the same place in terms of the data for uh, our forecast for the coming year. And the key point I think I'd like to make is that although we're not forecasting a recession as such, Hmm. Life is certainly not going to be great for a large number of households. We're not expecting the economy to grow that much at all. Yeah. And so basically Britain managed to sort of dodge back to back quarterly contractions. But the feel for uh, people in the UK in terms of the cost of living crisis is absolutely real. I mean, you came out with this extraordinary figure. One in four UK households will be unable to pay their energy and food bills in 2023, a permanent reduction in living standards. The hit to the UK is very significant. How would you characterise it? Um, I think you've you've done it very well in in what you just said. There's going to be there is a very significant hit to the UK as a whole. That's resulting from the terms of trade shock that we've had for from higher energy and food prices, the result from the the awful war in Ukraine, um, and um, the question for government really is how to distribute that hit, if you like. It's uh, they 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 can't. Uh, reduce that hit for everybody in the economy. They have to. They have to try and say, okay, richer households can actually withstand that. Poorer households struggle much more. We're talking about, d- despite the fact that the picture is is less bad than it could have been, we are still talking about the economy in the UK being 0.8% smaller than it was at the end of 2019. So the UK is still the only G7 country that hasn't recovered uh, the output loss during the pandemic. Um, is there anything that surprises you in this data uh, in terms of, I suppose, the, the picture of what we've learned over the past three months? As I said, the, the data did come out a little bit weaker than we were expecting for December. But over, overall, uh, the, the three months turned out in line with where we, we thought it was going to be. I think there is a real issue about the, the UK's recovery from uh, COVID and the UK's growth prospects in general. I mean, we have been arguing for quite a while that there needs to be more public investment in infrastructure, etc., as a way of trying to encourage productivity growth in the UK. Yeah, I was going to come on to that. The budget obviously is in focus 15th of March. Um, and so I'd like to know, you know, what should Sunak and Hunt focus on in the budget? Because that sort of productivity investment to get productivity gains is a long, you know, very long term issue. Um, you know, what should Sunak and Hunt focus on this March now? Well, I, I think that's the the first thing is they should they should look at uh, those public services which are, are clearly in crisis. The national health service, education. They should uh, look to see if there's some way of resolving the the strikes, which are, if anything, making the situation in the health service and education much worse. And they should make sure that they at least hold up the level of public investment as a, a portion of GDP. It's, it's currently four, It's currently at three percent. It's forecast to fall to two. I think at the very least they should aim to hold that at three, and then uh, as the economy grows and the public finances recover, they should aim to increase that proportion. We heard yesterday from the Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey that he said that public sector pay increases will add to inflation if they don't come with tax rises. Do you agree? Yes. Although the the mechanism is is. Uh, it's quite indirect. So, public uh, a lot of public sector um, 
uh, word doesn't enter the this the consumer price index as such but obviously if if public sector workers are better off and they they spend those wage increases that adds to demand and that would add to inflation but as i said it's a very indirect route and it will will take a bit of time for that to come through is it a risk though is it something that, that the government needs to be conscious of in in resolving those pay disputes i don't I don't think so. I think that the first thing the government needs to do is to to work out what the correct level of pay is uh, for public sector workers that would help resolve the staffing issues that we we see across the public sector. To be honest, uh, it's the Bank of England's job then to worry about the inflationary consequences and and to look to to set monetary policy in line with what they feel the inflation consequences would be. Okay, Stephen, thank you so much for being with us. Great to have you on the programme as ever. Professor Stephen Millard is the Deputy Director at the National Institute of Economic and Social Research, breaking down the latest UK GDP figures. Up next, Britain's £2 billion fraud bill. Hermes bags can't be copied in cyberspace. And Sam, are you there? The final hours of FTX. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, the paper review on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The news you need to know from today's papers. Bloomberg's Leanne Gowens is here with the newspaper review. Let's start with the headline in the Telegraph, Leanne. It reads, Britain forced to pay Brussels £2.3 billion over import fraud. What is this case? Yes, indeed, Caroline. Good morning to you. So the government has paid this huge sum of money to the EU. And this all comes after a court ruled that Britain had failed to collect billions as a result of fraud on imports. And they were coming in from China. The Telegraph says the European Commission did complain that importers into Britain had escaped a number of customs duties with false invoices and also artificially low-value documents for things like Chinese textiles and also footwear. The European Court of Justice ruled against the UK saying it had really failed to adopt the measures necessary to combat fraud import between 2011 and 2017. And I think if you can cast your mind back then, Mm. we were still members of the European Union. Now, there's been a bit of pushback. So the Chief Secretary to the Treasury, that's John Glenn, said Britain had maintained that it had taken appropriate steps to combat fraud throughout these ongoing legal proceedings. However, he also said the UK has increased its measures to prevent a fraud going forward. So this big court battle between Britain and the EU coming to yeah. a settlement of £2.3 billion not a small sum there, Caroline. Yeah, so back in the day, the Europeans were saying that the UK was a significant hub of fraud back in mm. 2018. So it was a really, this was a big kind of long-running case. Interesting, thanks. 
Uh, let's turn to the Times next, Leanne. Uh, the headline, Hermes bags win in digital token copyright case. This puts together one of your favourite things, Hermes bags, <laughs> and one of my favourite things, copyright law. Yes, indeed. Well, Hermes bags beats copyright law in my mind. But, <laughs> however, let's get on to this very modern court battle, one between extremely expensive handbags and digital tokens. So digital token featuring copies of Hermes Birkin bags did infringe the fashion house's trademark rights. Now, this is according to a New York jury. And the moment has actually been described as a terrible day for artists. The case before a federal court over in Manhattan was one of the first disputes over the popular non-fungible tokens that actually went to full trial. So this is a really big modern case that we're looking at here. And the French luxury design house has been awarded $133,000 in damages for trademark infringement, dilution, and also something called cyber squatting. Now, Stephen, I feel like you possibly could pay $133,000 for a Birkenbag. As we knew, know they are super rare and cost an absolute fortune. Mm. But we can't get Meta Birkins anymore. They're no longer on the market. So we have to try and hustle for a real yeah. one. I mean, it's quite a small award uh, yes, in the grand scheme of things, but I suppose it gives you, it, it does send a signal well, it, about, mm-hmm. about it using uh, trademark designs and digital tokens. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's just, a, it's it's one artist though, isn't it? So yes, it's a kind of award against an individual. No, it's a totally fascinating case. Then this long read in the FT um, is also so interesting about Sam Bankman-Fried. Obviously, this is all going to court. Sam, are you there? The bizarre and brutal final hours of FTX. That's the the headline of this piece in the FT. What did you take away from it, Leanne? Yes, indeed, Caroline. A six-page read um, in the FT today. And it's an amazing account of what actually happened during the collapse of the crypto firm. Joshua Oliver from the FT has spoken to former employees of the crypto company and also has has spoken to Sam Bankman-Fried himself. So really people at the forefront with knowledge of events that just unfolded, which appeared to be rapid. There are some incredible details of when reports of troubles at FTX really started spreading. Staff were rushing to leave their very glamorous office in the Bahamas. They were even throwing out clothing with the company's logo. And that's all due to rumours that people were being searched at the airport. And you also get a real sense in this piece that's been written by Joshua Oliver, a real excellent piece piece of um, news journalism of how committed the staff really were to FTX. And um, one other thing is there's this exchange between Sam Bagman-Fried and his arch-rival CZ over Binance's proposed buyout of FTX. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, The promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? 
and where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.